Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lifestyles Medicine Podcast. Today, we continue our coverage of the Canadian Plant-Based Nutrition Conference, which took place on June 1, 2019 at the Michener Institute in Toronto, Canada. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Dr. Subhas Ganguly. Dr. Subhas is a medical doctor and also an associate professor of gastroenterology at McMaster University located in Hamilton. In the previous episode, you heard part one of his talk. And in this episode, you'll be hearing him conclude his talk with a discussion of plant-based nutrition for type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a major issue and we believe that the information shared here by Dr. Subhas can be life-changing. Now we present to you Dr. Subhas Ganguly for the final segment of his talk at the Canadian Plant-Based Nutrition Conference. Is that everything that diet has to offer? Well, this study came out, and it's, uh, this is the Nurses' Health Study, and uh, Dr. Jenkins actually referenced some of this data as well. A lot of publications have come out of this study. It, they followed 37,000 men and about 160,000 nurses for approximately 25 to 30 years. To get into the study, they had to be free of heart disease and cancer at the beginning. Every four years, they sent them a big questionnaire that asked them uh, 200 questions about what they were eating and about their health. They wanted to look at the effect of meat, meat consumption and the development of diabetes. They adjusted for all of these following variables uh, so that they wanted to make sure that they were looking mainly at the effect of meat consumption and diabetes. A portion of meat, by the way, was three ounces of meat. That is smaller than a pack of playing cards. That is one hot dog or two slices of bacon. What they found is they probed this big population down into quintiles. That means 20%. The top quintile means the top 20% of meat intake and the bottom quintile, and here you can see how many portions is the bottom uh, 20% of meat to intake. So the people who had the 20% highest amount of meat intake had approximately a 44% higher risk of developing diabetes for men, 30% for women. And if you look at um, the effect of one serving per day increase in meat, you can see that in a combined group, processed meat, 32% increased rate of diabetes, unprocessed meat, 12% increased rate of diabetes. Then they did a meta-analysis, so each one of these is a separate study, and 100 grams of unprocessed meat per day increases your rate of diabetes by about 19%. That's significant. 50 grams, or half the amount of processed meat per day, increases your rate of diabetes by about 50%, or is associated with that. So processed meat is worse. If you increase your processed meat by just one serving per day, your, your intake, unprocessed meat, your total mortality goes up by 12%, your, and if, you, if that's one portion of processed meat, your total mortality goes up by 20%. Cardiac mortality goes up by 17 to 22% with just one increase of portion, a portion of meat per day. And cancer mortality goes up by 10 to 16%, just one portion of meat per day. So even if you can decrease your meat intake by one portion a day, you can hope for benefits. Is that the only study that shows this? No. This is a study of 25,000 Seventh-day Adventists followed for 21 years. Self-reported diabetes based on how many days per week they eat meat. If you have eaten meat six days per week or more, you have an approximately two and a half fold increased rate of diabetes. Here's a European study that shows 38,000 people followed for 10 years. Every 5% you increase your calories from animal protein, there's a 30% increased rate of your risk of diabetes. So multiple studies show the same thing. Here is another angle on the nurse's health study, but this time they changed their question. They wanted to look at dietary protein intake and the risk of diabetes. So about 160,000 people followed for about 25 years to look at the development of diabetes, but asking about protein intake this time. 
Here they broke them down by quintiles of total protein intake. So if you were in the top 20% of total protein intake, you had a 39% increased rate of developing diabetes. They then tried to adjust for body mass index. And interestingly, this effect almost disappeared. So it looks like the effect of total protein is mainly mediated by obesity or increased body weight. That is total protein intake. If you just focus on animal protein, surprise, surprise, the, res the relationship is even stronger. Top 20% of animal protein, 49% increased rate of diabetes. Maybe it's plant protein too. Well, yes, there is a pattern with plant protein. The risk goes down. The top quintile with plant protein has an approximately 9% lower rate of developing diabetes. So it goes in the opposite direction. And here's a breakdown by different sorts of meats. If you substituted one portion of vegetable protein for these different animal proteins, how much would you decrease the rate of diabetes? If you decrease processed meat by one portion and put in vegetables, that's a 21% decreased rate. Fish is a 13% decreased rate of diabetes if you had vegetables instead. Eggs is an 11% decreased rate. Poultry is a 9% decreased rate. So just one portion a day of vegetable protein would protect you. Um, so here's a meta-analysis, a summary of multiple studies looking at replacing animal protein with plant protein. So they looked at studies of at least three weeks duration and they found that the, in seven studies with 149 subjects, you could drop HbA1c by substituting animal protein with plant protein, significant. Also significant drop in fasting glucose and a significant drop in fasting insulin. So the multiple studies support this effect and these are all randomized controlled trials so we can say it's causality. Moving on, what about weight loss? Because elevated weight often ties in with diabetes. So here is a randomized study done by Dr. Bernard of the PCRM that looked at a vegan diet versus a moderate low-fat diet in 62 postmenopausal women who had an elevated body mass index. And they, want, they, they randomized them to either an unrefined plant-based diet or basically a heart-healthy diet, which would include animal products. The interesting thing is, is that everyone got 14 weeks of uh, counseling on how to do this diet. And then they, they broke them into two groups. One group, they would have 14 weeks of support group meetings every week and then no other intervention at all. They wouldn't see a dietitian, they wouldn't see a doctor, they followed them out to two years. The second group had support group meetings from 14 weeks out to a year um, and then they had no more support. So this study also looked at the effect of support group meetings. What did they find? Overall weight loss at two years was higher with a vegan plant-based diet than the heart-healthy diet. That was significant. Even more interestingly, they looked at the effect of being in a support group or not in a support group. Basically at two years, if you were in a support group, you lost almost four kilograms of weight. If you were not in the support group from week 14 to week 52, you almost lost no support you almost lost no weight. So for any clinicians in the group who are interested in starting this, it's really important that you, <coughs> excuse me, have patient support groups if you want to be able to change lifestyle. Here's a meta-analysis looking at vegetarian diets and weight loss. Overall, the diamond here doesn't overlap. Overall, it's significant and there's a 3.4 kilogram weight loss that shows that it's effective. What about people who already have diabetes? Here's Dr. Bernard's study where he took 99 people with type 2 diabetes who were on medications and had moderate di diabetic control. He randomized them actually out for 74 weeks to either take a plant-based diet, which was also low-fat, or the American Diabetes Association diet, which is the gold standard. 
Funny enough, in the American Diabetes Association group, if they're overweight, they also cut back their calories. So if anything, I think this study was actually a little trying to help the people in the American Diabetes Association diet. They asked them not to change their exercise and they followed them for 74 weeks. Here's what's happened to their glycosylated hemoglobin. It went down more in the plant-based group than in the American Diabetes Association diet group. Here's what hap happened to changes in their glycosylated hemoglobin. It was a little complicated because if you change a person's blood sugar, you have to change their medications. But if you looked at change in A1C before you had to change the medications, there was a significantly higher drop in A1C of about 0.4% in the plant-based group. If you looked at change in weight, there was a trend towards greater weight loss in the vegan group, not quite significant, and also a trend to greater drop in BMI. If you look at changes in lipid, Lipids, there was a greater drop in total cholesterol and a greater drop in LDL, both of which were significant with a plant-based diet. So while both a below-fat diet and the American Diabetes Association did result in some weight loss, when you control for medication diets, the plant-based diet is better in a 74-week randomized controlled study. Here's a meta-analysis that also looked at vegetarian diets. Overall, they were effective with a 0.4% decreased rate. Here, interestingly, you can see four vegan diets compared to a vegetarian diet that allowed milk and eggs. And basically, there was a bigger effect with the vegan diets than the diet that allowed the milk and eggs. So it looks like if you want the full effect, you have to go the full way to totally plant-based. Putting this in comparison to multiple drugs, here now we have a low glycemic index diet, structured exercise, and a plant-based diet. And you can see how those might add up. What about the real world, you might ask? Well, there was a very interesting study done in New Zealand that was reported quite recently that tried to assess the effectiveness of a whole food plant-based diet in the practice of a single family doctor in a fairly small town in New Zealand. They took 65 individuals aged 35 to 70 and to get into the study they had to be obese or overweight and have one of these risk factors, diabetes, ischemic heart disease, high blood pressure or cholesterol. And they randomized them to either the standard care or a whole food plant-based diet, and they didn't even tell them to watch their calories. And what did they find? Well, out at six months, if you look at, at weight loss, you can see that the weight loss was, uh, the weight was about 94 kilograms uh, in the control group and was down at about 83 kilograms in the intervention group. So the difference in weight, change in weight was 10 kilograms. So that's over 20 pounds in a, in, in a small practice in rural New Zealand. If you look at cholesterol results going out to six months, the drop in cholesterol also reached statistical significance in the intervention group, but not the uh, control group. And uh, if you look at the results in HbA1c, there was also a bigger difference in HbA1c in the intervention group than the control group. So this is a relatively real-world situation and looks like it can work. So this is called the broad study and showed that in a six-month study of 65 uh, individuals, there are significant decreases in weight, BMI, HbA1c, although blood pressure didn't change. So, trying to bring some conclusions, obesity and diabetes are a global problem, they are a problem in Canada, and randomized studies show that lifestyle and a conventional diet can buy you a few years in terms of slowing the progression to non-insulin-dependent diabetes, but that looks like it's the best it can do. Glycemic index is an effective intervention, it looks like it can improve outcome. Red meat consumption increases the rate of diabetes by 30 to 40 percent. And effective dietary interventions include the glycemic index. Didn't have time to show you all the data on the Mediterranean diet, which is basically the plant-based component is what works there. But the most effective dietary intake to date looks like it's a whole food, low-fat,
plant-based diet. So like I said, I got into this as a pre-diabetic. Here's my diet before I got into this and what my diet is now. I also try and ride my bicycle to work in Hamilton. Um, so a lot more, that, that's an awful lot of information. People might be left with a lot of questions. What do I have for breakfast? What do I have for lunch? What do I have for dinner? There's a summary of this talk and a copy of the slides on foodisprevention.com. I have some small handouts out at the front desk if anyone wants those too. Fourleafsurvey.com is a really cool website. If you go there, it asks you 10 questions and it gives you a score for how healthy your diet is. The score is actually how plant-based your diet is. It might be fun to do that now and then later on. There's an incredible DVD called Forks Over Knives that's in the public library on Netflix, on iTunes. You can stream it right off the internet. Uh, that will is a lovely introduction to this topic for you. Feel free to take a picture of the slide if you want. And, th and then there's an incredible book called How Not to Die by Dr. Greger, which covers the role of food in the top 15 causes of death in the USA, and then goes over the different foods. This is actually the beginning, and Dr. Greger's done some amazing work on this. I'll just end by kind of showing this is what he suggests we should be eating each day in as part of a whole food plant-based diet. Each circle is actually a portion. So he suggests three portions of beans, one portion of berries, three portions of other fruits. And he, there's actually a free app which lists this. This probably looks like it's a little complicated to do, but to be honest, once you get into the swing of it, it almost becomes automatic. You, you kind of end up almost being on an, on an autopilot. Um, but uh, I'll leave things there. Well, that concludes part two of Dr. Subas's talk. We thank Dr. Subas for that powerful information. Check in soon for more fantastic talks from the Canadian Plant-Based Nutrition Conference. We would like to express our gratitude to the speakers and to the chair of the conference, Dr. Zara Kassam, for permitting pathways to upload these talks so that you, our listeners, can be blessed by them. In return, we encourage our listeners to share this information to friends and family so that others can be blessed. To watch video versions of these talks, please go to the website of Plant-Based Canada. Their website is www.plantbasedcanada.org. This podcast is brought to you by Pathways to Wholeness Lifestyle Medicine, a group of clinics based in Toronto, Canada, with a special focus on lifestyle medicine. To learn more about what we do, you can go to www.pathwaystowholeness.ca. To stay up to date, remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can do so on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen directly online at the website or on YouTube. Thank you again for tuning in today and remember your lifestyle is medicine.